And welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the podcast. Chris Graham and Rod Mullins are going to talk some NASCAR and one of the more exciting races in recent memory, Rod, in Atlanta over the weekend. Uh, I got to catch the last 30 or 40 laps. I mean, that itself, even if the finish hadn't been what it was, was was certainly good enough. I know over the 400 miles, there were 48 lead changes. I think something, I think the number was 32 of the 37 cars were involved in at least one crash uh, at some point right. in, a, in a race. 16 were involved in the one on lap two. I mean, it was just, mm-hmm. it was close racing. It was bumper to bumper all the way through. And then we get the finish. Three wide photo finish. Ah, well, that was a great race. Yeah, you know, I, I think that that's probably been, I, I guess the one that probably the race that excited me the most was probably Ricky Craven and Kurt Busch back at Darlington here several years ago. And I think the margin was like 0.002, something like that was what it was when they crossed the start finish line and they were beating it, each other to death going across the finish line back and forth. And, uh, Ricky Craven wasn't expected to win that race. And that kind of, you know, that was one of those surprises. He wasn't expected to be there in, in the end, but this race just absolutely, there's not much I can go back on and look at, you know, of course the wreck, the wreck that happened lap two, like you were talking about, but then the big melee starting toward the very end of the race and, 48 lead changes, as you said, uh, that's unheard of, uh, 47 is what it was up until that last point and then 48. And, uh, you know, that was a record at Atlanta this year. Um, but you still had some of these drivers that absolutely, they either loved the track or they said, you know, it's crazy fast. And then the others were saying, Hey, we don't have enough grip. We don't have grip on this track. We're not doing well on this track. Who was it that um, said late in the race, Rod? Uh, when, during that one break, uh, you know, because they had so many restarts at the end, somebody said over his radio that uh, it was exciting, but he also feared for his life. Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember which one, which driver it was that said that. But yeah, it was so exciting. They were fear. I was having, uh, honestly, I was having palpitations just watching them even go four wide. Yeah, at at yeah. a couple points during the during the course of the last few laps of the race, um, I thought even Kurt Bush or excuse me Kyle Bush pulled off a move that absolutely I you know it would it was like almost a video game move maybe like what Ross Chastain pulled at Martinsville here a year or so ago but you know I I just couldn't believe it I mean the way that the racing was was handled. Uh, yeah, there was some rough, there was some rough bumping and hitting each other. I know Joey Logano and Denny Hamlin have had their little brush up again and stuff. They keep this as a constant, it seems like every year. Uh, but you had that bump, you had Bubba Wallace and somebody else bumping and, uh, Bubba Wallace, you know, you know, trying to maintain this, uh, this, uh, great jump out of the gate that he's had since Daytona, um, but I, more than anything else was that move right there toward the very end when Kyle Busch made it three wide. And you kind of figured Kyle Busch was probably hoping for one of those Bristol wins, like what happened here two years ago when I was there at Bristol on the dirt track. And when they had it and um, they got tied together, Cole Custer, I think it was Cole Custer and, um, or Chase Briscoe and another driver, um, Gosh, I'm trying to think of the name of him. But anyway, Kyle Busch comes in, just roars right through to the start-finish line, takes the win. 
uh, that's what it reminded me of. I was just like, who's going to win this thing? And I was surprised when Suarez came out uh, on top and all he needed was just, you know, just a few inches. That's uh, that's all he had and stuff. Like I heard Bush say at the end that um, I want, you know, after the, the post-race interviews, right after the uh, the race was over, that um, he his his one strategic thing he did wrong was that he. I guess he was in he was boxed in the middle of the three and and he he figured that the guy on the outside would have the advantage. It wasn't much of an advantage, but uh no. I mean he he recognized that he was asked what what would you do differently if you had a chance to do it again and, and that was the one thing he said. Yeah, and it was it was one of those things of where I think he could have taken that outside. He could have probably felt better going lower instead of higher, I think in this case. That's probably where he would have felt more comfortable, but the way they were jockeying for positions on Sunday was just unreal. I mean, this was, this was like shaking up a can of beans and then watching all these beans, jumping beans, trying to line up and get in some kind of order. And then if one line is not moving fast enough, somebody makes another line. Uh, it's probably one of the best drafting mile and a half tracks that I've ever seen. And especially they did this since the resurfacing at Atlanta. I think it's just, it's, it's transformed the racetrack completely. And, uh, you know, you had some of them that weren't happy with it still, um, to some degree, weren't happy with the way the banking is and the way that they redid some things, but I love the configuration. I mean, this is what short track racing, the way I view it, short track racing ought to be like week in and week out. It ought to be this competitive, maybe minus a few wrecks, but you know, that's what some of the fans want to see your, you know, your uh, favorite driver, however you look at it, if it's Denny Hamlin or whoever, uh, you know, hitting the wall, you know, being spun around and so forth. Uh, that's what they wanted to see. And, you know, that's what they got in Atlanta. It was a great race. Testament to the teams too. I mean, we mentioned the 16 cars in the lap two wreck, uh, you know, just being able to keep so many cars out on the road, out on the track, uh, with the damage that was done. And, and a number of the guys, Bubba Wallace was in that lap two wreck and he was still contending right. at the, at the end there for the lead. So, um, great work by the drivers and the teams to, to keep everything together. Yeah. And you know, Larry McReynolds, uh, says this quite often during the course of a race. And he has said this over and over. And it's been one of those things of where he talks about this car that is out there that they've got out on the track is probably a testament to all this hard work and stuff that has been done. Uh, over the years, trying to make this race or trying to make this race car uh, such a good race car on the track uh, that it can take some kind of damage, um, you know, spoiler, whatever it might be, front end, anything like that, and still manage to bounce back and be in the race. The only thing that's not going to get you back in the course of that race is going to be more than anything else, the tow bar. If that tow bar's broke, the tow in and, and so forth, uh, you can't drive the car at all. And I think we had a couple of people, one driver, I'm trying to remember which one it was, when he came to pit road, it looked like he was driving the car sideways because he just could not keep it. Uh, he couldn't keep it straight whatsoever. And so it was. Uh, it's a testament to this car. I think it's. It's something that I know it's had problems. It's you know it's caught on fire. There's been things of uh, the. Uh, rubber going up underneath the car and so forth and getting in there and then catching fire and so forth. Uh, you know, it's, it's been a learning experience, I think more than anything for the drivers and also for NASCAR. That's what I think it's been. Big win for Daniel Suarez. He's uh, his second career NASCAR, uh, a cup series win. And, um, 
you know, I know uh, to me it's a little premature, but you know, the, obviously the talk is, hey, you've already won a race uh, that means you're in the playoffs. I know, I mean, there's still a lot of a lot of racing to go, but I mean, what a way to start the season for a guy uh, who's very popular among the drivers on the circuit, and when he has he's quite a few fans out there as well. But to get this win this early uh, really has to set his season off on a good way. Yeah, it does, and you know, I I mentioned too. I think I mentioned to somebody one of. Uh, one of my students listens to the podcast and listens to us and he'd made a, he'd made a mention and stuff. He said, uh, well, what about Suarez? Isn't Suarez, um, and he, is it even one of these situations where he's kind of like lame duck almost, you know, he's got a year to go on his contract and then what's going to happen to him? Well, you know, I told him, I said, he's going to race. He's going to race with everything he's got in him to try to prove that he's worthwhile and staying there at Trackhouse Motorsports. Um, they asked Justin Marks about this and they asked him, they said, uh, well, you know, is he under any kind of pressure right now? Because, you know, this is his last year on his contract. And he said, he's not even, there's nothing even in consideration to that point that we're at that point of where we're looking at somebody else. As far as we're concerned, he's gone out there and he's performed and done exactly what we've wanted him to do. And, uh, you know, I think he's, uh, he's great. He's a great driver. Um, He's very quiet young man. Uh, he comes into the, comes into the media center sometimes and he's just real quiet. Uh, but when you get him started talking about things, uh, I think the, probably the words that got me the most on Sunday was his story about the journey. You know, he's telling all the other drivers that's out there that are looking to, you know, follow maybe in his footsteps or whatever. It's a journey. It's going to take a while. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to be something that's going to be sudden. Um, look where I've been. Look what I've had to go through. Uh, yeah, he's he's been on a journey is what he has been on. And, you know, I, uh, I just think that this guy has been sold. They have sold him short uh, in some of the other racing situations. Joe Gibbs, I think they sold him short. I don't think they really understood him. And I'm not saying that in any kind of way about language barrier or anything because you know i'll say this daniel does well when he's being interviewed but you know there are some people that say you know he still doesn't quite have the you know the english down pat but that's what makes him so natural i think you know the excitement of him when he's talking about this um you know we get a glimpse at uh, what life's like with him and what it has been and and what the journey has been for him Let's talk about fines that were doled out by NASCAR after the race. Uh, Noah Gregson, uh, Ryan Priest, Joey Logano called up. Uh, what were what were the issues there for for those teams? Well, um, Noah Gregson and Ryan Priest both had unauthorized something to do with airfoils or uh, aerodynamics. Had something to do with uh, some splitters, something on the car. And they were confiscated almost immediately on Friday, I believe is when it was, when they were doing some testing and also getting ready for the, the qualifying and so forth. That's when they caught them. And, you know, for me, I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, I understand that. You know, you've got to go and do what you have to do. But um, it also comes down to another story here. And that's the one about Joey Logano. And it has to do with the infamous glove. It's not going to be the Michael Jackson glove. It's not going to be the OJ Simpson glove. You know, if it fits, you must convict or whatever. Well, in this case, if it's webbed, well, he's pegged. That's all you can say about it. It's not allowed. And, uh, 
you know, you got to give credit that in-car camera caught it when he was reaching back behind him like this and his hand, and you could see the webbing back in there. That gives, at least according to Elton Sawyer, who's vice president of competition and everything with NASCAR, he said, you know, <clears throat> hey, if it gives an unfair advantage, well, you're probably saying, how in the world does that give an unfair advantage, uh, especially being in the car and driving? Uh, well, he held it back here, airflow. You know, it's one of those things that can help just a little bit. You, uh, It's just hard to imagine just a, that least little thing can go and give you the edge. But here it is. This is in a nutshell. And I was looking for the exact quote here that I wanted to be able to share with you, but I'm going to try to paraphrase it the best way I can. Larry McReynolds talked about it today, I think, and it was released uh, as to what was going on. And he says NASCAR has reached a point of where they're not going to take this stuff anymore. They're not going to take it lightly. Uh, it used to be one of those things, if they did a little bit of some fudging on a particular piece, you know, or they did something, NASCAR's like, okay, we caught it. We're not going to let this happen again. So don't don't try this ever again. Uh, but they would do things, and they would do this. I mean, Ray Everham, Jeff Gordon has admitted to this. The Petties have admitted to it. But now NASCAR has lowered the boom, per se. And NASCAR is not playing games with this whole thing. And so you go and you get fined $10,000 for Joey Logano and that infraction on the glove. And then you wind up owing points to NASCAR, like Noah Gregson, who got demoted down, what was it, 35 points, I think is what yeah, it was, yeah. of what he had of his points total. Now he's negative six. So I'm like, you know, Noah Gregson's got a hole to climb out of, and he's got to climb out of it quick. And coincidentally, here he is, He's his position in points, 43rd. And he was driving the 42 car last year for Legacy Motor Club. It's kind of a coincidence, isn't it, where he's, where he's kind of ended up. He's a good driver, but, I, you know, we're seeing some things change, and we're going to find out here. Stuart Haas, I did hear this. Um, Stuart Haas is in a situation right now where they're really putting a lot of faith into these young drivers. And they know they've got to be able to turn something around. Josh Berry was one of the drivers that really performed well for them on Sunday at Atlanta before he got caught up in that uh, one of the wrecks right there toward the very end, the number four car. But, um, you know, Stuart Haas, they're questioning right now whether Stuart Haas is going to have enough to be able to make it through the rest of the season. I don't know how that's going to happen, if they're going to park. I don't think they will, but I think Tony Stewart will find a way. But they're hoping and praying they're going to come up with some wins is what they're going to need. All this is just so different this year. It's it's much more different than what it was last year. Yeah. Noah Gregson, uh, he could have just not raced the two first weekends. He could have just stayed home, and he'd be better off. He than could he have. Right I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like that song. You know, it's like that song that at Weird Al did. I lost on Jeopardy. You know, <laughs> instead of our loves in Jeopardy, it's I lost on Jeopardy. <laughs> well, you know, that's what he's in. He's in jeopardy right now with this minus six, you know, are you going to go for the daily double? Well, he better pull it off this weekend at Las Vegas, which is a home track for him. He need he need, he need to just get back to zero. That's the, his first focus is just get back yep. to where the season started. That's um, exactly right. <laughs> so the, the series moves out to the West for the next couple of weekends, uh, Vegas this Sunday, three 30 Eastern time, uh, Las Vegas motor speedway on Fox. Uh, what can we look forward to out of this race? Uh, probably more aggressive driving is what we've seen already in the first two races of the season. 
there's some people that may say that they're going to settle down. They'll settle down a little bit. Uh, but Las Vegas, another mile and a half course. Um, we're just, we're just going to have to see how this one goes. And we could end up with a different winner this time around. We could end up with someone else that, uh, possibly could come up and surprise. Um, I don't know. Tyler Reddick might be a good, uh, good indicator right there. If he's able to pull something off and be able to win there. Um, I don't know. It's, you know, it could be a Bubba Wallace weekend. Uh, Bubba is just so close there at the front um, where he's finishing and how he's being consistent. Um, I really wouldn't rule out maybe a big win for him. If he pulls off a big win in Vegas, that's going to be a signature win, much like what Suarez was this past weekend with Atlanta. That was a signature win for him. Um, he just outright showed the field, hey, I'm going to stick in with this, and that's what he did. Um, you know, you have to give an edge to uh, Kyle Busch because home track, also like Noah Gregson, they're going back home. He's going back home, knows that track really well. It's just a matter of whether or not uh, RCR is going to have a car underneath him that's going to be ready to go this coming weekend. Um, you know, he's, he's, having a, he's having a rough go of it, and I'm not going to go into any kind of details online about it here in our, in our podcast, but I will say this. When you get roasted by your wife over something, over finishing, you know, behind Daniel Suarez, Ryan Blaney right there at the start-finish line, and she makes a comment that she made in the media, I would be red-faced, and I don't know if I would be showing my face around for a long time. She roasted him, and I, I don't want to go into detail about it because um, that's left up to Samantha Bush and, and Kyle Bush and behind closed doors. That's all I'm going to say about it. So, well, so let me ask you, uh, as we're wrapping up here, uh, your student who, who last week was asking you about Daniel Suarez, did he ask you about anybody mm -hmm. this week? Because you know, I'm, I'm, he's one for one. So, I mean, does, who, who yeah. is his insight in this week? Um, <laughs> right now, I think he's kind of pointing in the direction, the student that I've got, he's getting ready to do a uh, research presentation podcast and he's going to do it on who's the greatest driver in, in NASCAR history. Interesting. And I think it's great, but I've told him, I said, there's going to be a lot of different drivers out there. You're going to have to pull from stuff. Those that won seven championships and those who have not won seven championships, you're going to have to figure all this stuff in. But, um, I think right now what he's leaning in leaning toward is a Kyle Busch. He's leaning toward Kyle Busch and possibly pulling out a win on this. He thought that Kyle Busch might have been able to pull something out at Atlanta, but, you know, Suarez was just, you know, you know, fast. He was there where he needed to be at. And so it's, um, that's my question right now. I'm going to see how he, how he stands on that. And, uh, I'm not going to bet him. I'm just going to say that, uh, we're going to see where you stand on this and see if you go two and oh this uh this coming week after we get done with this race he goes two for two we might have to invite him on sometime soon to uh yeah help us break this stuff he, down he would be, he'd be a trip too he would be a trip too knows a lot about nascar this kid knows quite a bit about nascar but we're we're going through all these different things of these scenarios and we we talked about it a little bit uh when we were finishing up in class and he just asks me my thoughts he says hey he says you know what what do you do when you go to the track and things like that? And I've told him what I do when I go to the track. And he says, sounds like fun. I said, well, it is fun. I said, you see a, you see a world that you don't normally see on television. You don't see it on television. And we were talking about, um, I think I talked to him about the fact of 
how the race fans are different in NASCAR as opposed to NHRA. Uh, you can go to the NHRA drag races. Um, you're behind a wall, so to speak, or you've got a little, you know, uh, divider there. You can watch the drivers. The drivers will come out and they'll talk to you eventually is what they'll do when they've got time. Um, they open it up and, you know, you've got these people, the, the autograph hounds that's got, you know, stack of autograph cards this thick, and they're trying to go and get the drivers when they hardly have any free time whatsoever to start sitting down and just doing autographs. And then it kind of knocks people like us in the media out of maybe sitting down and getting to know that driver a little bit more on a personal level, uh, a little bit more. Cause right now, um, I'd define it as it's homogenized. It's a very homogenized sport. And it's like, we get time to talk to them, but it's only on our grounds. It's not when you're walking through the pits and somebody yells, if somebody were to yell at me and say, Hey, Rod, come here, you know, haven't seen you in a while. Hey, let's talk about something like that. That's the kind of relationship. Some of these media people, some do have this, but a lot don't. And that's one of the things I wish NASCAR would kind of get back to a little bit more. You mentioned uh, being at the track. You're you're only about three weeks away from the Bristol race, right. the early race uh, yeah. this year, moved up a month. So, um, uh, you know, it's not too far until you'll be out there uh, doing all that stuff. Yeah, it's going to be a retro race, too. It, this is a race that's going back to the 90s. This is when the track was originally painted red and white around the sides. Um, you know, they're going to try to capture the atmosphere as much as possible for the 90s and kind of give it that feel uh that's they've gone back to the old uh food city 500 logo uh i mean there's just a lot of big deal going in with this jerry punch is even going to be there jerry punch and his daughter are going to be there oh and at last time i heard um i believe bill goldberg is going to be there goldberg so th that could be a very interesting that could be a very interesting time in the media center you know well, goldberg's you. there I'm reminded of how when I was a teenager, I remember one night sitting out with my aunt and uncle and cousin, and we were at a, one of those little drive-in uh, places, you know, getting mm -hmm. getting dinner, and they were listening to 50s music. So this is in the 80s, and they were listening to 50s music. I'm thinking, that's old music. So now the 90s are old stuff? I mean, the 90s are yeah. retro? Man, I, we, I am getting old, man. I tell you what. The 90s <sighs> feel like yesterday. Well, that's what it felt like. For, that's what it feels like for me too. I mean, it feels like yesterday, but you know, I had so many good memories of the eighties and also in the early nineties and so forth. And, you know, things kind of, you know, went downhill, you know, probably about the mid nineties with some things, but, uh, it was still the first part of that decade was, was fun. And I think that's, that's really when I got to cover, uh, several races, uh, down there at Bristol, the old way before, um, really right on the uh, end of uh, Larry Carrier selling the, the track to Bruton Smith. And then that went from what was considered to be just like your standard little track uh, to now turning around and going to be, uh, you know, this big, huge Coliseum is what it ended up being. I also found out too, I think this is going to be interesting in my backyard here coming up, I think in the month of maybe May, I'm going to have to check the schedule the next time. Ryan Newman, and also, if I'm not mistaken, I'm thinking of the other one. Yeah, Bobby Labonte. They're going to be racing at Lonesome Pine Raceway in wow. Coburg. Now, that's one of the original, that's one of the old tracks that goes back, uh, the old 
NASCAR Cup Series, Winston Cup, what they used to have, and ASA used to run there. They're actually going to run some open, I think some modified is what they're going to run down here at uh, at Coburn. And I'm hoping to get to go cover that and maybe get a chance to talk with uh, Bobby Labonte and maybe Ryan Newman. Uh, you know, Ryan Newman doesn't have a ride now. Bobby Labonte is kind of retired from the cup business, and he's kind of uh, on the side doing racing at different places, sort of like Ken Schrader. But uh, that's going to be fun having those guys back. That's going to bring back memories of Alan Kowicki, um, Harry Gant, uh, gosh, Davey Allison, people like that, that used to come in and race at Coburn on a regular basis. And this is part of that grassroots thing that NASCAR is trying to get back to. And it's something that they've needed to get back to for a long time is to try to get some people to get lured back into the local tracks and see where all this talent comes from. Even that the talent is, is much more competitive. I think sometimes on a local level than what we see on national television. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that sounds exciting, man. So I uh, look forward to that. We'll look forward to the Bristol coverage. Yeah. And of course this weekend's race is three thirty Eastern time in Vegas. It's on Fox. We'll have coverage. And of course, Rod and I will get back together next week and we'll recap it all. Well, Rod, as always, thank you for your time and your insight. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks.